Second serve to the forehand side of Favrinka. He goes down the middle of the court. Slightly short forehand from Monfils. And now he hits a backhand. Better depth on the ball that time. This time it's a slice backhand from Favrinka. Backhand from Monfils right onto the baseline. Both players though going down the middle of the court now. Both around two feet behind the baseline. Now it's a backhand up the line from Favrinka. Gets good depth on it. Monfils is there. He's got Monfils on the run here. As Favrinka comes forward but puts the volley long. And Gael Monfils is the champion in Rotterdam. His second 500 series title of his career. He rights the wrongs from 2016 where he was the runner-up. And he is the winner of the ABN AMRO World Tennis Tournament in Rotterdam. Both players embrace their good friends. And Monfils on the day was just the better player. He now lifts his arms aloft and is embraced by this Rotterdam crowd. He does the sort of hammer thing on his chest and then waves to each corner of the ground. A wonderful performance. Gael Monfils has defeated Stan Wawrinka 6-3, 1-6, in an hour and 43 minutes. Welcome to the ATP Tennis Radio podcast. And what a fantastic day of celebration we've had in Rotterdam at the ABN AMRO World Tennis Tournament. I'm Pete Rogers and with me is former Fed Cup player Claire Curran. Before we get Claire's thoughts, let's hear from the winner, Gail Monfils. Gail, congratulations. What an epic final to end. A brilliant week for you. How does it feel to walk away with that trophy? Um, I'm very happy, you know, I'm very happy. Uh, uh, I'm happy for the work we've been doing, you know, and uh, give me more hopes, more belief, uh, uh, more encouragement to keep uh, doing and even do more, you know, with my coach. You know, we've been, uh, yeah, we've been working hard. It's been a tough season last year for me, and then uh, now I'll be back. Uh, and with a great level and win the 500, it's been, it's been a lot for me. When you lost that second set, were there some shades of 2016? Was that beginning to come into your mind? How did you change things around for the third? You know, I don't think so much about the past. You know, I was thinking, uh, you know, just at the present. You know, the present was very important. My coach, uh, you know, we talk a lot, as I say, you know, the, we talk a lot. And, uh, you know, every scenario is possible, you know, just believe. Uh, what I'm doing, what, I, what I'm willing to do, and uh, I think it helps. And uh, you know, I, I went for my shots, and, uh, and then uh, happily we, we won. How does this set you up, winning a title so early in the season for the rest of the season? What else do you think you can achieve? Well, I don't know. This is a, it's a step, you know. My coach always told me this is a step. We're working, you know, to have a, to put ourselves in this those situation. You know, it's the, the first time, and uh, hopefully we, we're going to have uh, some more. And, uh, and if we can win more titles, definitely we will try. And for now, to enjoy the moment. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks, Gail. Thank oh, it was a brilliant speech from Gail Monfils and a fascinating interview too. What a tournament for the Frenchman, the uh, player who was ranked 33 in the world, coming into the event unseeded and winning his second ever 500 series title. So Claire Curran, who's with me here for, for this match and was with me throughout that encounter, it was an intriguing match, wasn't it? It, it had highs and lows. It was a bit topsy-turvy at times. But overall, you have to give the Frenchman a lot of credit. He played such an intelligent brand of tennis today and the way that he started off the match where he just forced Varenka into those unforced errors by taking a deep court position and being so consistent 
throughout and okay he had a little bit of a lapse in the second set but a big part of that was because Varinka started to find his first serve and he just was a little bit more aggressive but Monfils he just in the very end of the match he just elevated his game he started to play more aggressive as well and there were some brilliant rallies in the middle of that set in that third set and it was a perfect way for him really to finish that match. From Varinka's point of view as in uh what did you make of his performance in the final? It's great to have him back in the final, of course, after the, the double left knee surgery that he had all of over a year ago. It's taken him a while, hasn't it, to find some form. But the signs were there this week that he is getting back to his very best. But what did you make of his performance in the final? I think he's pretty pleased, obviously, that he got to that final. But if you hadn't known that Varenka had had a couple of injuries over the last 18 months of the last year, he'd been out completely, you would have thought that that was really a very big missed opportunity by him. He won that second set. He looked like he was in complete control. And then he just had that mental lapse at the, end of the, at the start of the third set, which you don't expect from a player who has had three grand slams under his belt. But overall, I think he'll be more than pleased with the fact that physically his body seems to be holding up and he's gaining a lot more confidence with that. And I like the fact actually that even though he lost the match, he is looking at the positives and there's going to be more great tennis to come from Varenka. I think he's only going to improve. And that was the thing, as in with regards to Vavrinka, as in he did show signs of brilliance. It was a little surprising he lost his concentration going into the third set. Was that something to do with what was going on over the other side of the net? Because we saw at the back end of the second set, it looked like Monfils had got an injury. He was changing the speeds of his serve, and that must have... Well, did it affect Vavrinka, do you think? Well, the first five minutes of that third set were so important for Vavrinka, and even if Monfils wasn't injured... Even if Monfils was at his very, very best physically, it still is the most crucial time because he's won a set 6-1 and he was guilty of maybe having that slight lapse in concentration. His serve really went amiss completely. At one point in the, I think, a second or third service game, he was on a 33% first serves. He wasn't finding the target at all. And that just gave Monfils the opportunity to create a more aggressive court position and to impose a more aggressive game, game plan on Varinka at the start of that third set. And of course, going into the match, Guillaume Monfils had said in his win over uh, Daniel Medvedev, he talked about the fact that beating the Russian, he'd uh, varied the speeds and he just outlasted his opponent. And we were thinking going into that final that he wasn't going to be able to do that against Favrinka. But yet that was almost exactly what we saw in the first set, and it very much worked. Well, we thought that Varenka would have too much time on the ball and be able to execute too many winners, but what Monfils did so well, he almost, it's like a little game of cat and mouse, he, he goaded him into hitting those down-the-line shots. Varenka, he gave him the shot to hit, he gave him the space, but it just created more pressure, and Varenka then came up with a lot of unforced errors, and that's because Varenka is so aware of just what a great athlete uh, Gael Monfils is and how good uh, a strong ability he has at, at running down uh, defensive shots. So Gael Monfils winning his second 500 series title. It's his eighth career title on the ATP Tour. And of course, as I mentioned there, Gael Monfils got the better of Daniel Medvedev in the semi-finals. But the Russian has had a fantastic start to the season after his tournament successes in 2018. Daniel does it in Tokyo. His biggest title of his career becomes the first qualifier ever to win in this city with a display of quite phenomenal tennis. I don't want to stop uh, at where I am and uh, I hope to do what it needs to be even higher.
Full of ambition, Russia's Daniel Medvedev has every right to be dreaming big. After a stunning 2018, where he captured three ATP Tour titles, he's one of the men to watch this season. His remarkable run began when he reached a milestone just over a year ago in Sydney. And I managed to win it, my first title, and I think it gave me a big push in the year, even if this push was not straight away, but I think uh, this meant a lot uh, for this season. The foundation had been laid for a special season. Fast forward to the US summer, and Daniel was back in the winner's circle. Winston Salem was a really big boost in my career this season because it made me go up the rankings straight into almost top 30. And it's definitely another level to be a top 30 than uh, being in the 50s or 60s. There's no doubt Medvedev was ready for the next level. A few months later, on an even bigger stage, he showed his quality. ATP 500 is definitely a uh, different thing. Uh, beating indoor guys like Milos. And he seals it in the most spectacular fashion. Daniel Medvedev books his place in the semis here in Tokyo. Denis Shapovalov. Just amazing tennis from the world number 32, Daniel Medvedev. Okay, at his hometown is something amazing. He was so close to perfection. Defeats Nishikori 6-2, 6-4 in just an hour and two. You never win easy, but doing this with easy scores, with amazing level of, uh, of my game, I, I'm just really happy about myself and I hope to continue improving this way. Daniel Medvedev is the champion in Tokyo. It's the third title of his year. Astonishing stuff. 2018 wasn't just unforgettable on course for Daniel. He got married during the summer making his year even more memorable. It's tough to fit a wedding in a tennis schedule, but in fact I didn't have a real wedding, like an enormous ceremony or something. It was a small ceremony in Russia, just to be a wife and a husband. And then maybe now we'll make a bigger wedding this year. And we got married after the US Open. That was, in terms of my tennis career, that was the best result by far in my career. So probably it means that I was doing everything right. The brightest of futures lies ahead for Daniel Medvedev, determined to show that 2018 was just the start. For me, tennis is about many, many small details, especially at the level where we are all right now. For me, it's about physical part, of course, mental part, of course, tennis part. If you don't play good tennis, you cannot be here. I have been working a lot to improve all of these small details. If previous years, since I was younger, I was just thinking about my tennis and I thought I, I can always come on the court and win uh, if, I, if I hit the ball good, so I've changed it. And I've changed myself on the tennis court. That's where I am right now and I want only to improve. Yeah, Daniel Medvedev there, who has made a, a stunning start to this year, as well as a very strong finish to last year. Gabriel Clark there with that feature. And of course, uh, Medvedev was the man who lost out to Monfils in the semis. And another man who lost out in the semis, who's also made an excellent start this season, is Kei Nishikori. And uh, luckily enough, in the off-season, we spent some time with him and his coach, Dante Bettini, in his training camp in Bradenton, Florida.
from Japan, Kei Nishikori. Is the Japanese number one. Of course, he made his way back from injury this time last year. He was on the sidelines, hopeful for a return. It didn't happen at the start of the year. It started, in fact, on the challenger circuit. Yeah, I enjoy uh, practicing here, and uh, it's been 16 years now, so it's incredible. I think first time I think about to to be pro, yeah, I think when I was 12, and that's why I tried to move here. <laughs> I'm really happy to to play 100% again and healthy. Hope I can compete, you know, whole 2019. Yeah, I couldn't play Australian Open last year. You know, it took a little while to get my tennis back. I lost first first round challenger, first tournament of the year coming back. Also, my my wrist was you know hurting. You know, same time it took a little while to to get healed 100%. Nice, nice contact there in front. Good. Yeah, I worked here for three years uh, at the academy, and then. Uh, Kay was needing a, a coach and he hired me full time and that's when I started working with him uh, at the age of 19, 20. We started 2018 in end of January, coming back from a big injury. Obviously, it was a progression. First couple of tournaments was tough. He played second round against Del Potro in Miami. He played first round against Djokovic in Madrid. Took almost half a year, but he managed to beat a bunch of the top 10 guys. After US Open, I came back 100%. That gave him, uh, obviously, a lot of confidence. In last couple of tournaments, I played one of the best tennis. Um, yeah, I mean, that time, I couldn't really imagine that I'd be in top 10 in end of the year, but yeah, very happy to, to finish uh, uh, play London last year. He's, he's, a, he's a big deal, you know, in, in Japan. I think he's like, I don't know, like Michael Jordan here, like uh, Diego Maradona in Argentina. You gotta give a, a lot of credit to Kay on that, you know. He's very focused on his tennis, you know, on his work. Maybe it's more fun in Japan, but uh, I think that's why, you know, I chose here to, to, I can always focus tennis. Well, we, we still have a lot of goals that we, that we want to accomplish. Hope I can come back to top five again and uh, to winning the big tournaments, of course. We took all the positive things of, of what happened on this year, you know, and, uh, and, and to keep building for the next. Yeah, two players who've had excellent starts to the season, Daniel Medvedev and Kei Nishikori, but coming up just short here in Rotterdam, although I'm sure they'll be pretty pleased with how they perform. Let's first off start talking about Daniel Medvedev, of course, winner in Sofia uh, just last week. He also was a finalist in Sydney. He was one of two players to take a set off uh, Novak Djokovic. I've said it to others, I believe right now he's possibly maybe the fifth, sixth best player in the world. Would you agree with that statement from myself? 
I, another statement I would agree with, absolutely. <laughs> You're but welcome I, to disagree. No, I, mean. I can't disagree with you, but no, the way that he started off this year has just been, again, sensational tennis from Medvedev. And he's so balanced in terms of his personality. You've got to remember, he's only 22 years of age, but whenever you listen to him talk, he's got so much maturity about him. And in his matches, uh, one of his greatest strengths has actually been that mental fortitude on the court and the way that he's able to just remain calm under the most pressurized situation but he's got a big game you look at the serve it's just so fluent his backhand is one of the most beautifully produced double-handed shots in the game the way he takes the ball down the line it's so early with it and he's such a tall guy i think six foot six mm. and he moves particularly well and i think one of one of the things that maybe players are trying to to exploit a little bit is going back in behind him because obviously he's moving into spaces very, very well, but they've got to adjust and go back behind him. But what I love about him is that he, he talks there about those little bits of improvements that he's trying to make the marginal gains in the sport, that it's not just about the tennis, it's the physical, it's the mental aspect, it's the things that he's doing off court. And he seems to have such a good and mature perspective of it all that there's only one way that he's going to continue to go and it's up towards that top five like you talk about Pete. And it's quite unique isn't he with regards I mean he almost comes across attitude wise he looks a bit blasé a bit sort of like well I don't really care what's going on here but then it all of a sudden can explode in terms of his emotions but he likes to do different things you know we've, we've seen him serve from wider positions he, he is bringing new things to the game he sits very deep on the court but then we've seen him actually be able to adjust and, and go to the baseline there's so much to his game and I have to say when I first saw him come on to the ATP World Tour I saw him play Novak Djokovic in a Davis Cup match and he actually outplayed Djokovic for a set and a half and then started cramping. And he had all sorts of issues with fitness. And he, he used to say he really struggled with cramping. And he said he didn't actually take the sport that seriously or seriously enough in, in recent interviews. And I think now he's also sort of said, well, it's meant that he's got more tread on the tires. He isn't anywhere near as burnt out as maybe some of the younger players are and that he knows that there's still that bit of space to improve. Well, absolutely. And whenever he was playing Djokovic, I'm sure in that match, even though he was a set and a, and a half, he played exceptionally well, he would have come off the court and he wouldn't have been happy with himself after it. And that's the thing about Medvedev. His expectation of himself is is so high and he's always looking for those little areas to improve. And as for Nishikori, again, I mean, it's great that he's looking fit first and foremost. Well, it is because it was such a tough uh, year last year for him and the fact that he was out in those challenger tournaments and he got himself back up. I think Australia was grueling for him. He had a lot of five set matches, but he navigated himself through the draw. He's building confidence and I think he again is going to be a player that's going to be looking very soon to break into that top five. So you do think it is realistic because that was one of his goals? I mean, he's only two off it at the moment. And he's moved up so quickly. I, I do think it's realistic for him and he's been building his game. One of the things that I noticed even this week in Rotterdam was that he was taking more opportunities to come forward in the net. He did that a lot against Varinka yesterday. And even though at this stage in the season, maybe he's not winning uh, all of the points there, but the fact that he's trying to take his game to another level to bring another dimension to his game that's important for Nishikori and I think he's got to try to find ways as his career now is coming towards the, the other side of his career he's got to find ways to make some points shorter and take the physicality out of it but of course it's going to be congested or it looks like it may be congested with players trying to get into that world's top five many have been in action here so let's take a closer look at some other players who've been in action this week in Rotterdam another backhand from Hashnov cross court to the backhand from Novak Djokovic, he's done it! Karen Hashinov is a Masters champion! He reigns supreme in Paris! He does
level, straight sets, 7-5-6 for your champion in Paris, Karen Hajinov. Start by looking back to to last year and it being such a such a great year for you. Obviously, a big breakthrough year with some some big titles. When you're in the off season, looking to this year, did you set yourself any specific goals, a certain amount of uh, tournament wins or match wins, even? Of course, you want always more, but sometimes it's tough to predict. You know, you never know when when you're going to win. You can do everything possible to win, and that's maybe my my way of thinking you know i'm just trying to prepare for every week to be able to play 100% at my best level and then um, if if it doesn't work then i try i need to go back to work i need to push myself to get back to this level and uh, in general when you are not playing even so well still you need to try to win matches and um, yeah in general i'm thinking big i'm i want always more i want to be a better player better person every day and that's what i'm looking forward for this year Obviously, it's still very early in your career, but how would you say you've developed or matured over the past two years? It's a little bit of everything. I mean, uh, not even a little bit. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, I improved in physical part, uh, in tennis part, of course, in mental part. You know, tennis is about uh, a lot of small situations and small details, you know, especially at the level where we are playing right now. Um, it's... Um, Sometimes it's just a few points difference, you know, and you need to really think what is what is the difference, what is important, you know, if it's a mental part or if it's a tennis part. So uh, it's really tough to say, but I think uh, overall I'm happy with my improvement, you know, and um, I'm really thinking and hoping to get better and better. Does that help to be the best Russian? I mean, I've been, I've been talking a lot about it, you know, we are friends outside the court, really good friends with Daniil and with Andre. And of course, if we play against each other, we are opponents and we will push to our limits to, to beat each other. But at the end of the day, we are competing against all other players, you know, and personally, we can push each other in a good way, you know, if he's playing good or Daniil or Andre is playing good and I'm playing good to beat each other in the higher stages. But I don't have, for example, personal rivalry against, against them, you know. I have. I'm. I'm thinking and approaching to them as any other opponents, you know, like from any other countries. So basically, you know, it doesn't matter if they are from Russia or not. Who was the second seed here at the uh, ABM Anro World Tennis Tournament? Not too far away from the final. Final should be uh, getting underway in just a few moments' time. But let's just focus on Hatchinov. He mentioned there the fact that he, he wants to be the top Russian. And uh, at the moment, that is the case. But there's a number of very good Russians out there. Claire Curran, incidentally, alongside myself, Pete Hodges, for, for, for this final here in Rotterdam. And Hatchinov, you've got Medvedev, you've got Rublev. It's, it's exciting times, and it, and it helps, doesn't it, to have players push you on that you know? Well, they're pushing each other. And I think even maybe a year ago, there wasn't a Russian in the top 30, uh, 30 in the world. So they are improving. Uh, he had such a good year last year. The end of the year was exceptional. Maybe hasn't started this year off as he would have liked. But now he's the guy that the players are hunting. He's not He's not the player that's just hunting these top players. There's a lot more pressure. He's seen it one or two in some of these events. And maybe just the last couple of weeks, he's been a little bit passive in, in his game in his game style, but nothing to get overly concerned about. Yeah, certainly has the target on his back. And, uh, well, not a Russian, but has a, a Russian mother, another player who's drawn a lot 
of spotlight, of course, this year. Stefanos Tsitsipas, the, the man from Greece, who, of course, reached the semi-finals of the Australian Open. He was here as well. He also lost in the first round. Do you put that down to the fact that maybe it's been such a big start to him this year that, that, that maybe there's just a little bit of fatigue and, and getting used to that spotlight? Well, he's 20 years of age. He's so young. And beating Roger Federer in the Australian Open, beating him over the course of possibly a five-set match, he showed great mental attitude in that entire match. And look, he's going to have weeks that, that maybe he might not have that same level of consistency. And that's really, a, as, a, as a young player now, that's what he's trying to find. Yeah, he said he blamed himself for the loss to Damir Jimmer and no one else. But it was a tight loss, 7-5 in the third. But what he showed, I thought, felt that the back end of last year, just by playing in Milan, he was a player who was ranked so much higher than anyone else at the next-gen finals. And the fact he, he wanted to play that tournament and show that he was the best, I think we will be seeing a lot of him and uh, a lot of him in a lot of tournaments, and, and I don't see fatigue as that much of an issue or dealing with the spotlight as being that much of an issue for him, but we'll soon find out. Of course, there are other big names here in Rotterdam, some of them not as young, and one of those players being the, the Czech, Thomas Burdick, and he's been enjoying a good start to 2019 after a long time out with injury. Really, I, I had no idea what, what's going to happen, you know, because really I had no idea what's uh, going to be the situation when I put the matches on, if my back holds well, if whatever reason, you know, I mean, six months for me, it's been a long time and uh, time that I've never had in my in my career in the past. So I was really just just coming up with open mind for for basically every single day and uh, just trying to go one by one. You've been consistent as well. You're finding yourself in semis. I just last week Montpellier, good run in Australia. Is that? It was always a trademark of your game, the going deep all the time. That's what people always said about Thomas Burdick, and you seem to have got that, got a handle on that quickly. Again, is that that's something you're obviously proud of? But did that surprise you just to have that consistency so quick? Well, I don't know if, if surprised. I mean, it's good that those uh, those kind of uh, signs of, of of my game stays with me, which is good, which is important. And then, um, yeah, I, I'm still trying to add little things, you know having more fun on court being more creative and then uh, I think it just it just brought me to to some of the good results so far this year and uh, yeah I'm just planning to continue doing the same thing and uh, just to be a little bit more more careful with planning the weeks which is uh, which might be a little bit more difficult this year because of uh, till I Read some some ranking or good ranking enough, and uh, to get all the all the draws that I need, and uh, afterwards just just good planning and enjoying the time. We was asked guys who've had pretty tough moments which you had last year. Just do you take the time to try and savor it and enjoy it now you're back and back on tour. I'm sure we was imagining this through sort of the, the rehab and everything, but actually now do you, are you enjoying these moments more? Well, to be honest, I I didn't really had you know like a tough time even in those six months. I mean, for me, I just took it as a new new period, new new step in my career, and uh, and uh, that was it. I mean, I had a plenty of time for for other things, which uh, I was missing a lot with with the tennis. I get a nice new, I would say, perspective on uh, on the tennis overall. And then uh, with this all new experience coming back, I would say it's it's been it's been actually easier than in the past because, as I said, probably in the in the last interview, it's been like being locked somewhere in the you know wash machine and you cannot really escape. And but what with this, 
uh, I feel I feel nice, you know. I had a nice, I would say, overview on the things, and uh, yeah, I can enjoy the tennis a little bit more. But it's not almost like you enjoy it more. It's more like you just have a different different view, and then it's easier just to, to consume everything, the pressure, the the matches, and uh, then also it's there's a nice appreciation being back again on the court because really the the winning feeling is something very unique that no matter how much money you earn in your life you cannot buy that so yeah that's something like that having such a strong start have you reevaluated the targets that they stay the same well they stay pretty much the same because still the season is very long and uh, as i said i have to be very careful but uh, but also on the other hand i mean i need to to push it as as much as i can whenever i come to be there be ready be prepared play my best and uh, Let's see. I think I'm still still capable of doing uh, doing a good result, and then if, if I'm able to keep my uh, consistency, then uh, it can it can brings me to to another good season. Well, that was Thomas Burdick. Always fantastic to hear from him, and great to see him playing some superb tennis once again and starting 2019 on the front foot. So that just about is it from us. But uh, please do tell all your friends that the main ATP Tennis Radio channel is bringing you even more live tennis than ever before this season. There's so many stories to come here at ATP Tennis Radio. And uh, ATP Tennis Radio isn't covering the live tennis. We're still airing the best interviews and features from around the tour. Plus, there's also this weekly podcast rounding up events and daily news bulletins. And that's just on the radio. Tennis TV is also with you every step of the way, so go log in to that surface service. I should say there'll be plenty of service on that service to see how you subscribe. And Gabriel Clark talks us through what is left to come in February. There's more action indoors in France. Marseille makes its mark. The start of a very special season for Karen Kachanov in 2018. In the US, they hit Delray Beach. Francis Tiafo claimed his maiden title in Florida last year. In the final, I was like, I'm, I'm taking this, I'm not gonna let this slide. You know, hit a second, second to race to win it, you know, follow the floor, you know, emotions going. Uh, you know, 20, you know, wasn't expecting the title. It meant a lot, you know, you know being with you know, my dad there. In Dubai, there's another ATP 500. Roberto Bautista Agut seized his first tournament victory at that level. 12 months ago. His eighth title, his biggest. It's a 500 series. It's in Dubai. Terrific performance. But this man thoroughly deserves to be the champion. I remember it was uh, one uh, of my dreams to, to win a 500 event. Uh, I remember that uh, I was uh, returning very well, I was uh, playing very aggressive, uh, I was uh, taking the time of, of the points of the rallies and when I could uh, won the, the match and I was very happy. Mexico hosts the final 500 of the month. Juan Martín del Potro starred in Acapulco last year. It's delights for Del Potro in Acapulco, his biggest title since 2013. And Brazil brings the curtain down on the golden swing. Sao Paulo, the scene of glory for Fabio Fognini in 2018. 
12 tournaments, one month. Get ready to catch February Fever. Thanks to Gabriel Clark for that. Please tell your friends to check out the weekly podcast on iTunes, Spotify or TuneIn. And be sure to join us for the BMP Paribas Open in Indian Wells in a couple of weeks' time where there will be more podcasts as well as ball-by-ball -ball live commentary from every day of that event in California. And, of course, there's still a little bit of tennis to come today as we record this podcast. The Argentinian Open in Buenos Aires is yet to get underway. And we have the New York Open as well. You've got Schwartzman against Cecchinato in uh, Argentina. And how about this for a story in terms of Braden Schnur, the uh, qualifier from Canada in the final against Riley Opelka, another young gun coming through right now. And it's uh, going to be a really interesting final, that one. If you want to watch those, you can subscribe to Tennis TV and watch them there. Or if you want to just keep up to date with the scores, it's ATP Tennis website. The ATP Tour website, I should say, is the place to go if you just want to keep up to date with the scores. So much to view, Claire Current. So much to listen to as well here on ATP Tennis Radio. What for you is your sort of favourite part of the year? Or is it just a, a non-stop rollercoaster ride? Well, it's such a long year and we're covering so much, but I do always like whenever we get back into that Indian Wells and Miami swing just before it gets into the clay court season as well. I'm excited to see Del Potro is coming back and he is on his way back. And obviously it was tough for him at the end of last year to finish it uh, as he did with that injury, but he's always such an exciting player. But really, Braden Schler, as you've just said, this guy that we haven't really heard of that much. He's just about to play in New York in that final. What a story via the college system, 152 in the world, was a last minute alternate into that tournament a week ago. And now he finds himself in his first ATP final. It is an incredible story. So there's just so much depth in the game. But I think really... I am excited to see this year how this next generation of players, the next gen players, progresses. And can anybody touch Djokovic? That level that he had produced in, in Australia, he just took the game to another level. I thought Nadal was pretty good before the final, and then Djokovic really destroyed him. So it'll be interesting to see how many players can elevate their game and can anybody touch that level? Yeah, there really are so many question marks coming into it. And it's interesting you mentioned Braden Schnur, as in because we think, oh, the next gen is coming through. Who's going to break through there? And, and then you also look at what we've had in Rotterdam, so many of the old guard, the likes of Monfils, Vavrinka, Nishikori playing top-level tennis too. And that you, you then suddenly have stories out of nowhere where there will be names in 12 months' time that we'll be talking about that right now we have no idea who they are, like Braden Schnur, who I think very few people knew who that Canadian was. But now maybe he's someone we'll be talking about in 12 months' time. That is the beauty of our sport and the beauty of the sport that is played all around the world. And let's just hope you listen to our coverage of so many tournaments from around the world. But I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. But from myself, Pete Rogers, and from Claire Curran, hope you have a very good evening, afternoon, or morning, wherever you are in the world listening to us. Goodbye. Goodbye.